and welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Uh, thank you, Devin, for that. That was such a, a great testimony. And thank you for having the courage and the willingness to share that with us. Uh, we're all blessed. And it's so powerful and so true to know that because of what God has done, we're enough. Simple as that. And there's no longer that question, that doubting. And, and that's, uh, that's just, again, thank you. Thank you so much for having the courage and, and blessing all of us that way. Well, we're in, the, we're in the middle of a study that we started a couple weeks ago, looking at these, these four offices within the, the church, these four leadership roles within the church. And, and, and these leadership roles that, that Paul is talking about, he, he refers to them as gifts, uh, gifts that have been given to the church. And these, these gifts have, have a primary function. That primary function is being towards the, the equipping, and, or sometimes we saw that word equipping means to repair and restore and mend and put back together, but equipping the saints for the service, the body of Christ for the service, and building up that body of Christ. And, and these four roles that we have here are, are kind of like puzzle pieces. And, and so I think about them that way that you have each of these different roles and they all kind of fit together and, and have unique aspects to them. And so there's the one puzzle piece of the apostle, another of the, the prophet and the evangelist, and then the last one is the pastor teacher. And they all together fit together and, and they make this beautiful picture. And I think it's important to understand that while there might be overlap between all the roles and, and someone might serve in multiple roles, like we said about Timothy, Timothy was an apostle who served as a pastor teacher in Ephesus who did the work of evangelist. And so he would have occupied these various offices. And again, there's overlap, but they're not all the same. And I think what we've done in the church is we've kind of lumped them all in the same. And that basically, if, if you're desiring or you're involved in ministry in some way, well, that makes you a pastor. And yet the pastor teacher has a unique role that's a little bit different from the evangelist, a little bit different from the apostle, a little bit different from the prophet. And in understanding each of these roles, hopefully we can understand how they all fit together Again, leading to that, that equipping, that mending, that restoring the body of Christ, uh, preparing them for the service. So it's not just the pastors, not just the people who are quote-unquote on staff at a church, but it's the whole body of Christ. And that's what's really exciting to me, to think that, that we can now have an entire group, an entire body of Christ, multiple people serving, uh, is, is really exciting. So last week we looked at the apostle, and we, we saw the apostle is not some super leader within the church. That's not the role of the apostle. That the apostle really, its primary function and primary role is that of building culture, of building community. That we saw the apostle in Roman times, what they would do is they'd be sent out from Rome into these new areas to establish Roman culture there. And that's exactly what God has done. He's sent these apostles who are not just the 12, although they are unique in that, but all kinds of apostles in the church who are, who are leading, who are teaching, who are building this community of grace and inviting others to experience this, this place of openness and safety and risking with one another. And so this morning now, what we want to do is we want to look at, at the, the role of the prophet. And the role of a prophet, I think, is a, is, is a critical role, especially today. Because, you know, our world, it's not a pleasant place to be right now. 
There's a lot of division, uh, a lot of hurt that people are experiencing. Uh, people are afraid to talk about the issues that we're facing. Uh, not sure where people stand, and so people are cautious. It used to be, you know, the two things you had to be careful about talking about, religion and politics, is now religion and politics and COVID and, um, you know, protests and all kinds of things. And, and people are, are getting a little, little you know, skittish and, and worried. To, is it okay to talk about things? Because there's so much division, there's so much tension, and, and people are people are going off on one another really quick. And I don't know if it's because we're spending so much time online, we're used to having that that coverage of anonymity and just being able to say whatever we want to say, but people are just afraid to speak, afraid of being shut down. So you have all of that tension. And that's that's spilling into our relationships with our with our spouses and our friends and our coworkers, and and it's just it's just ratcheting up and so it's easy i think to feel despair and i know for me this week i i was feeling that this week more than other weeks where i was just feeling out of breath feeling tired with all the the weight that was going on and then seeing things happen in my friends lives and seeing what's happening in the world and, and it's just it's a lot going on and and so i found this week in particular just to be heavy and and, and feeling discouragement but it's not just of our current search situation. It's everything that's led up to this in our own lives. See, the, the fact of the matter is we all carry baggage from our past. That baggage of hurt, that baggage of shame, that, that sense of that there's something wrong with me, that, that I'm not enough, as, as Devin was, was talking about. This sense of regret, this, the things in our past of what was done to us, or maybe the things that we've done ourselves. Just leave us feeling broken. Leave us feeling dirty, feeling like there's something not right about us, something wrong about us, or that all really leads to the belief that no one could ever really love me. I mean, if they knew, if they really knew what I was dealing with, if they knew what I'd done or what has happened to me, they wouldn't want me around. They're, they're barely tolerating my presence right now. And, and so there's no way I am really belong here. No way I'm really loved in all this. And, and then... You know, on top of all that, there's the sins that we indulge in and trying to feel better about ourselves, whether it be, you know, indulging in, in, in emotional eating or indulging in, uh, you know, alcohol or pornography or, or just judging and criticizing other people and, and all that stuff that nobody really knows about necessarily, but we know about. And we just, again, heaps more condemnation and shame on ourselves. And so we just feel that constant assault of shame. And, and so, we're feeling down. We're feeling discouraged. We're feeling like there's really no hope for us anymore. And it's in that moment, in that moment of despair, that God sends to us the voice of the prophet. And that voice of the prophet is, as we're going to see this morning, his primary role is to lift our eyes off of what we're struggling with, off of the darkness of this world, the darkness of our past, and lift us back up our eyes to Jesus. And to see that smiling face of Jesus, to see that love, to see that, that you are enough, that you are accepted, that he's who he's made you and, and the fact that he resides inside of us right now. That's what that role of the prophet's going to be. And so we're going we're gonna to study it in more detail this morning. So let's pray because it really is this morning going to be the Holy Spirit. Uh, let me tell you. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, we got something special, I know. I I don't know what happened with our notes. Uh, I thought it was going to be really great, but you've got something even better. And so we're going we're gonna to trust you to be the speaker, to be the teacher, and, and to play that role of a prophet, to lift our eyes back to you 
and to, to be reminded and to be encouraged and to celebrate all that we have in you. So thank you, Jesus, that we can trust you. Thank you that you're going to use this message in powerful ways in all of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, before we understand the role of a prophet, especially for today, I think it's important to, to kind of take a look at, at Israel and the various kinds of leaders that they had in the nation of Israel. And there, were, there were really four main leadership types in Israel. The, the first one that we're going to look at is, is the priest, and then they had the judges, and then they had the, the kings, and then they had the prophets. And each of them served a unique role within Israel under the Old Covenant. And so the first one I want to look at is, is the priest. And, and the priest, the office of the priest began uh, in, um, at Mount Sinai. So Israel had, had left Egypt, and God brought them to Mount Sinai where he introduced the covenant. He introduced the, the, the old covenant or Mosaic covenant. And, and with that, there was the, uh, you know, all these commands, but essentially this covenant was going to be one where Israel was going to be a nation of priests. They're going to be a nation unto God. And so God was setting them apart. And, and what they're to do then was with these commands were to live differently so they would be unique. They wouldn't be like all the other nations. That was God's ultimate desire for Israel and that Israel would be able to introduce God to the world. That was it. That's what they were chosen for. It wasn't to bring everyone into Israel that wanted to honor God because God wanted to be the father of many nations. Remember, that was the, the promise through Abraham. And so then what he did is he took one of the 12 tribes, Levi, and says, set Levi apart, the whole nation, that they will be serving me. And so that's what the Levitical priests were. They were a tribe of, of priests where basically their job to kind of oversimplify it was they were to represent man to God. And so what I mean by that is that they would often be in the temple, they would be preparing the various sacrifices, preparing for the various feasts, offering those sacrifices on behalf of the people, and they'd be doing it all year round. And, and so that was what the priest's role was, was again, representing man to God. Well, the next major leader that they had was the judge. So here comes the judge. Right now, the judge here is not like the judge that we typically think of. Right, they didn't wear a black robe, sit behind a bench, and then adjudicate uh, the the various trials, whether it be court cases and civil cases and so forth. That's not what we mean by a judge. A judge here would be uh, sometimes translated as a deliverer or as a as a more of a ruler. And and what was unique about the judge is they had a very limited authority. And that basically people would come to them and, and, and look to them for leadership, but they had no real authority and power. And so God would raise up these judges. And, and the book of Judges, ironically enough, covers a lot of the stories of the judges. And so we have you know, famous stories of judges such as uh, Deborah and Gideon and Samson and others. And you, you can see their stories all throughout the book of Judges. And... Um, and again, they would, they would lead Israel in times of crisis often, uh, lead them to protect against the enemies. But what was interesting about the, throughout the book of Judges, there was this idea here, especially towards the end of the book of Judges, where this, they kind of give a sense of what Israel was like. And, and four times, I think it is in that last chapter, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So again, they would raise up a judge but the judge had no real authority, had no real power. But Israel was just doing whatever they wanted. And eventually what they wanted is they wanted their own king. 
And so that brings us to the next one. The, the last judge actually would have been Samuel. And, and it was interesting because the, the elders of Israel, they came to Samuel one day and they said, Samuel, you know, you're getting old and we're not sure we can, we can kind of trust you uh, or, or at least those who are going to come after you to lead us. So we want a king. Give us a king. But here's the thing, more importantly, because we want to be like the other nations. Remember the old covenant? Remember the whole point of that? Is they were not supposed to be like the old, the other, the other nations. They're supposed to be different. And they weren't supposed to have a king, and they were supposed to have a judge with limited authority because who was their king? God was their king. He was the one to rule over them. But they said basically, we don't want God to be our king because we can't really see him. And we feel different. We feel like we don't belong. It's like the most teenagerish thing they could say and do, right? Like we're so different than the others. And, and so after whining and complaining, God says to Samuel, you know what? It's okay, Samuel. You think they've rejected you? You think you've been a bad judge? It's not you. It's me. They don't want me as their king. And so they want it. They want their own king. And so he says, I'll tell you what, we're going to give them a king. And that king, he's going to have complete and total authority over them. So that's what's different about the judge. The judge had limited authority. The king has total authority. The authority to tax, the authority to take the best of their, their cattle, the best of their vineyards, the, the best of their, their slaves, the best men and women, the best soldiers, and they're going to have to do whatever the king wants. And he, he says, basically, he says, give them what they want, but give them the warning that all that's going to happen, that they're going to be essentially enslaved to this man, to this king, and, and he's going to do all this to them. And you know what they say? Give us the king. That's what we want. Crazy. Then instead of having God look after them and the freedom that, that would come with that, they said, we want to be enslaved. We want, essentially, we want this bad leader who's going to just take everything that's good from us to be in charge. And so now they had kings. And King Saul would have been the first king. And then eventually it would be David and the lineage of David through Judah. And then when the nation split, they would have other kings in northern Israel as well. And so this began the time of kings. And so we read about that in, in 2 Samuel, or really 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and so forth. And we read about the time of kings. Well, now running at this time as well is, is the prophets. Now, in truth, the prophets, they, they've been there since pretty much the beginning of time. Jesus tells us in Luke that the very first prophet would have been Abel. Uh, and Moses would have fulfilled that role of prophet, and, uh, and, and Noah would have been a prophet as well. So there are many prophets throughout there, but, but the emphasis of the prophets really began in the time of the kings, where they're now you had, a, you had the king and you had the prophet, and they would work together side by side. And I, I think a great definition of a prophet, to really simplify it, is, is essentially this. It's comforting the disturbed and disturbing, and disturbing the comfortable. Isn't that a great definition? I, I really think that's such a great description as we're going to see. This idea that they're going to comfort those who are struggling, comfort those who are disturbed, who are under all this weight, but those who are comfortable in a way that they shouldn't be comfortable, who aren't living in a, in a healthy way, he's come to disturb those people, to eventually lead them back towards Jesus. So like I said, they're, they're going to run side by side now with the, with the nation of, of, of Israel. And and the, to have a little bit of understanding here of the prophets, in the, in the Old Testament, you'll hear this phrase, major prophet and minor prophets. And, and so major prophets would have included people like um, 
like uh, uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel. Those have been the major prophets. And then the minor prophets would have been uh, ones like Jonah and Amos and Habakkuk and so forth. Now, the difference between the major and the minor was not like in the NHL where you have the major leagues and then the minor leagues, right? It's not like, you know, Amos was just, he just didn't have the same skill. Like he just, that wrist shot was a little weak and he just couldn't, he wasn't quite good enough to hit the big time circuit. That's not what it means between major and minor. The difference really is just simply how long of a book they had. And so maybe if Daniel wrote, or sorry, if, if, uh, if Amos wrote a little bit longer, he would have been a major prophet. That's all the differences. So it wasn't in terms of their ability or their skill and so forth. In fact, many, many would say that in that time of kings, the greatest prophet would have been Elijah. But he didn't have his own book, and so we wouldn't call him as a major prophet in that sense. Because again, it's just referring to the different books of the Bible. Now, one of the most common, I think, misconceptions of a prophet is that they're simply they're there to tell the future. And, and they get that idea because of prophet is pro is before and, and fed is basically to speak. And, and so while there's an element of that, of, of foretelling, of speaking what's to come, I mean, we would see that in a, in a lot of those prophets, particularly Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, where they would have talked about the coming of Jesus. They were foretelling the future in that sense of Jesus and the new covenant was to come. You'll see that throughout their writings. So there is an aspect of that, but I would not say that was their primary role. Their their primary role, the prophets was essentially, was to remind Israel of the covenant that they made, to point them back to that covenant. So one one, um, commentator, he, he kind of referred to them as essentially the lawyers of the old covenant. And, and, and so you got to think, remember, what was the old covenant? So in, in Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 5 to 8, we, we're going to kind of read a little bit of what that covenant was. So it begins in verse 5. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, God says, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests in a holy nation. So again, what is he saying to them? He's, he's, he's inviting them to be a unique group of people, a unique nation that will be a kingdom of priests to the whole world, because the whole world belongs to him. But they need to keep his covenant, keep his, 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 their end of the deal. And that covenant was on them. And so it was, you need to perform. There's 613 commands. There's feasts to follow. There's sacrifices to give. And if you do that, then I will bless you. And you'll have all kinds of blessings. But if you fail, then you'll be cursed. And you'll get all kinds of curses. So he goes on to say in verse 7, and Moses comes to the, all the elders of the people, and he set before them these words that the Lord commanded them. God says he wants us to be unique. It means we're going to live differently. We have these commands to live by. We're going to have to have these feasts. We're going we're gonna, to you know, build this, this tabernacle to start with. And, and if we do it, we're going to be blessed. But if we don't, we're in trouble, just so you know. In fact, in, in Deuteronomy 28, it talks about there's, there's 14 verses of blessings and 28, or, sorry, there's 50 verses of curses in that chapter. And they hear it and they go, sign us up. That's what we want. So that's what they agreed to. They agreed to this covenant where the onus of the work was on them. And if they did well, they were enough and they'd be blessed. But if they didn't, they were in trouble. Well, almost immediately, guess what? They're failing to live up to their end of the deal. 
they immediately begin to fail the covenant over and over and over again. And there were times where they'd forgotten about the covenant altogether. And they completely went off the rails. And so what God would do is he'd raise up a prophet. And essentially what the, that prophet was to do was to remind them of the covenant. So essentially the prophet would do these three things. Number one, it would accuse Israel of all their failures. You're, you're doing this wrong. You've, you've got these idols over here. You've forgotten about these laws. and You're not doing the ceremonies right. You're not carrying the, the ark properly. They'd raise up a prophet to accuse Israel when they failed their end of the deal. And then he would invite them to repent. He'd invite them to return to the covenant, to begin to change their ways and to live differently. And then finally, he would warn them if they didn't. And so here he wasn't so much foretelling the future. He was just reminding them of the covenant, reminding them of the promises of God. So he, it wasn't like he had some great insight into what was going to happen. He just knew if you, if you trespass the covenant, we're going to not be there. We're going to be the tail. We're going to be you know, barren. We're going to struggle. Things aren't going to be good. And so that's what the major role of the prophet was, to accuse, to invite to repent, and warn of the consequences. Do you see what I mean by disturbing the comfortable? And so that's what the role of this Old Testament prophet was doing over and over and over again. So what about the New Testament? What about the, the New Covenant prophets? What, what's their role and what do they do? Well, first off, again, there's a lot of people that would say that prophets don't exist anymore. And, and I think they do that because they have this idea that prophets are fortune tellers. And we don't need to have any more fortune telling of the future because we've already been given that. We've been given that in you know, Paul's writing, particularly towards the Thessalonians. We have some of it in Daniel and some of it in Ezekiel. And then we also have a lot of it in the book of Revelation from John. And so we don't need any more prophets, they would say. But again, I think the role of a prophet is, is reduced compared in terms of fortune telling. That's a small part of their role. The other thing is we do see prophets in the New Testament. For example, the, the one is named is the prophet Agabus. And he's actually named in the book of Acts as a prophet. And he would do some foretelling. He, would, he came to Paul one time and he bound his wrists and said, if you go to Rome, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be imprisoned and you're going to die. And so he was foretelling the future of Paul. So we do see some of that. We see that again, the writings of John and so forth. But again, it's a limited part of the role of a New Testament prophet today. But it still happens today. And I think we need to understand that. Paul writing to the, to the Thessalonians in chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, he writes this, he says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't silence the Holy Spirit. And do not despise prophetic utterances. So as, as a church today, we shouldn't shut it down. We shouldn't ignore it. In fact, he spent a whole chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 14 encouraging it and telling us to be eager to do so and explaining what that means and what that looks like. But again, what we need to understand is the New Testament prophet has a different role than the Old Testament prophet. You see, in the same way that the, the role of the priest changed, the prophet changed, See, in Hebrews chapter 7 and, and verse 12, the writer says this. He says, when the priesthood change of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. What he's saying here is he's actually trying to lead into this discussion that the new covenant is, is replaced the old covenant. And, and actually, it was, it was predating the old covenant anyways, but has nullified and gotten rid of the old covenant. 
And that's why there had to be a different priest, meaning that we're no longer in the Levitical priesthood. We have a new priest, a new priest of the order of Melchizedek, and that's Jesus, who's made us now a nation of priests. But that new covenant means also new prophets. And that's what's so beautiful. And that's what's so incredible. Because again, what did the old covenant prophet do? Remember, the old covenant prophet was to accuse of when they failed, to invite them to repent, to invite them to come back to their end of the deal, and then to warn them of the impending doom when they don't. Well, if the old covenant is gone, if it doesn't exist anymore for us as, as, as believers in Christ and the church, then, then that prophet has no, no basis to accuse, no basis to invite us back to the law, no basis to warn us of the consequences if we don't. And yet how much of that do we see in the church today? That's what's happening all the time, over and over again, as if that's what prophet, a prophetic utterance is. But that's not what they do. Instead, in pointing us back to the old covenant, the prophet's going to point us back to a new covenant. And think about the new covenant. Think about what God's done here. This new covenant is the result of what Jesus has done on the cross. It's the result of what Jesus has accomplished on Calvary, where not only were all of our sins, all of our sins, think about that. The sin that you're going to do an hour from now when your kids are misbehaving, or, or a month from now when someone cuts you off on the road, or, or three weeks from now when, when you give in temptation and you listen to the country music station, all of those sins are forgiven. But not only that, because of the cross, you and I were placed into Jesus and we were crucified with Jesus. The old you is gone and God raised up a brand new you who has made, he's made you and I righteous. That's why you're enough. It's not based on what we do. It's not based on our efforts. It's not based on our hard work. It's a free gift from God. And all he says is, will you trust it? Will you receive it? It belongs to you. That's the new covenant. So what's the role of a prophet going to do? Point you back to the new covenant. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off your, your failed performances. Get your eyes off of what's happened to you in your past. And to point you back to Jesus and what he's done. To encourage you of, of who you are right now. Right now, in, in your worst moments, right now, you are beloved, you are accepted, you are approved, you are safe, and Jesus is, is smiling at you. He may not always agree and approve of all you do, but he always approves and agrees with you. And so that's what this prophet of the New Testament's doing. So again, while there may be elements where they may speak about the future, that's a small role. I think Paul summarized it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3. And, and, he, and he writes this about prophets. He says, But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So edification, exhortation, consolation. Let's, let's understand each of these, these words and what they mean. So the first one there is edification. And it's, it's really it's an architecture term. And it means to build up, to, <clears throat> to, to create, to, in many ways you might think of it, to educate and to, to teach. And so <clears throat> in some ways you see some overlap here between the pastor, teacher, and the prophet in that they're both teaching. They both have a degree of teaching. 
And, and I think a lot of what we see and we might call teaching is really prophetic in terms of what it's doing. And so it's leading us back to understanding the, the new covenant. Again, everything I was just saying earlier about who you are, this new identity that we have, that we're new creations today, that the old is in fact gone, never return, that all those sinful thoughts, they don't come from you. They come from the flesh. They come from sin that dwells in you, but not you. And so that's what's happening, this idea of edifying, to, to build up, to, to restore who we are, reminding us who we are. So that's what he's doing. So instead of accusing you of your failures and who you're, you know, you're, you're not measuring up, he's essentially going to accuse you who you are, but in a good way. He's going to remind you who you are. That's this role of the prophet. And again, I, I'll say he, but it's a he or a she, because women prophesy as well. Paul made that very clear in 1 Corinthians, by the way, just so we're clear on that one. So that's the first one there is to edify, to, to build up. The next one there is exhortation. And, and the Greek word there for in, um, that, that Paul uses is, is parakletos. And parakletos is actually the same word we see for helper or Holy Spirit that Jesus uses in John chapter 14. Isn't that cool? This idea here of this, this helper, often understood as a comforter, but that's essentially what this exhort, exhortation is. It's to, to help to basically um, come alongside you at this moment and to kind of give you counsel, to, to advise you, to give you some insight, to help you basically to apply in a practical way what the edification was earlier. So this teaching about who we are in Jesus that's the edification. The exhortation is, well, what does that mean right now? So maybe you're struggling in your marriage. Maybe you're struggling with not being married and you're struggling with being alone or, or maybe you're struggling at work or you're, you're struggling with, with something in your past, with the, the traumas and the, that you haven't yet resolved or you're struggling with your kids or you're struggling with, um, with people in the church or you're struggling, whatever it is you're dealing with, well, what do I do right now? Well, God would, would send a prophet or, or send you to a prophet that can help you to apply that with some words of encouragement. What does it mean to trust Jesus in this moment? How does, how does Jesus in you, what could that look like? Or to help you identify what it is Jesus is saying to you, how he's inviting you to live. So is this counsel, this wisdom that's gonna come through words of prophecy. And then the last one there is consolation or comfort. And, and here it's to, to just come alongside and, and whether you're feeling beat up and, and um, uh, spit out by this world, along comes the prophet to care for you, to again, to encourage you, to just sit with you and, and love on you. And again, all of it is coming back to understanding what God in, did in the new covenant, what God has accomplished for us in him. And, and so that's what God's done. And, and so... I thought about that and I thought, you know, what does that look like today? This idea of, of teaching, of building up, of, of, uh, of, of advising and counseling and of, exo of exhorting and also comforting and consoling. And it occurred to me, it's the Christ-centered counselor. It, it's the one that, that we go to when we're struggling in our marriage or we're struggling with a relationship or we're struggling with, with addiction or we're struggling with things from our past. 
And we go see this counselor, not just any counselor, but the counselor that's going to lead us to Jesus. The counselor that's going to encourage us. And, and what are they going to do? They're going to point us to the new covenant, point us to all that God's done and how God set us free. And to then practically understand how do we apply that? And then to comfort us and care for us and just encourage us to rest in Jesus. That's what these New Testament, New Covenant, Christ-centered counselors are doing. And again, some pastors do that. You know, really, we're, we're com- so blessed at New Life because we have great New Covenant counselors, Christ-centered counselors. We've got, we've got Sue, and we've got Peter, and we've got Ian, and, and myself. He, you know, we're at Crossways to Life, that's what we've been doing for years, doing this, sensual, this prophetic uh, uh, encouragement. And I never saw it in that sense, but that's exactly what these prophets were doing, and they were called to do. And, and we're so lucky again at New Life. We've got more people who are beginning to discover that call in their life. And, and they're doing it without even the office of it. You know, I, I think someone like, like Elisa, she does it really well. And, and so you can go to just sit with Lisa and, and she would love on you and bless on you and, and share these words of, of prophecy. And you know what's cool about it? She's never once sat down and thought, okay, I need to do it. Here's your prophetic word. It's not what she's doing. She's just sharing from the heart because that's how God's wired her and God has called her into that role. And whether she has a title or not is irrelevant. It's what she's doing in that. And that's what's so beautiful. And so what I want you to see is is the the office is important and we have that. And and for sure the office would include people like like Peter and Sue and Ian and myself. Absolutely. But like I said, you don't need the office to do it. And so... Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 39, he says, essentially, be eager to prophesy. And so I want you to see here, he's like, just like there's an office of an evangelist, but they're not the only ones that evangelize. There's the office of the teacher, but they're not the only ones that teach. And there's the office of the apostle, but they may not be the only one to do that work in the same way, while there might be the office of the, of the, prof, of the prophet, the counselor, they're not the only ones that do it. And it can happen. And in fact, we're encouraged for it to happen. And, and, and it should happen so often, Paul says, that when you get together, you got to kind of limit it. No more than two or three when you ever get together. So this should happen on a regular basis, Paul says. And so I thought, well, how can I demonstrate what that would look like? And so my one thought was, well, let's, let's go online and we're going to we're going to find some examples of what that looks like. And to be honest, I found of a lot of examples of, of what it doesn't look like, right? You know, the guys are shaking and they're all passionate and shibana Hyundai, shibana Hyundai, which really, if you slow it down, sounds like a car commercial because it says shibana Hyundai, right? And it, and it comes across very contrived. And when you hear what they're talking about, you clearly see they're not pointing to, to Jesus. They're not pointing to the new covenant. They're pointing really to something of the old covenant, a performance, and God will bless you if you do this, and God will do that. And the reality is, God's already blessed us. That's what the prophet's doing, is he's not, he's not telling you what you need to do to get. He's not even talking about future blessings that God wants to give you. Because Ephesians 1 4 says, You've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Sorry, that's Ephesians 1 3. And so we've already got it all. And so the New Testament prophet, he's going he's to encourage you to what you have, what belongs to us right now. And that should be happening on a regular basis. 
And I, I do think it happens, we just don't recognize that it's happening. In fact, really, what it ha- happens most often is worship leaders do it now. Maybe they're in between songs, you know, somewhere between song two and three or three and four, and, and they'll just sort of stop there and, you know, the guitar player's still strumming along, and, and now the worship leader would say some words of encouragement. And that essentially is what prophecy looks like. So it's, it's not scary is what I want you to say. To, to see. So if you still can't picture it, we got an example here. And so like I said, it's going to be Lisa. She's, she did it uh, you know, a couple months back. And, um, and so I just wanted to play it again. But listen to what she's doing. Remember, what is the role of a New Testament prophet? Point you back to Jesus to remind you of the new covenant, what we have in him, and to trust him now. So take a look and, and, and see what Lisa's doing. It's so beautiful. Good morning, New Life. I don't know where you find yourselves today in the midst of this unusual time that we're going through, Um, but as we've worshipped, it's just overwhelming to me that God continues to be faithful to us. And we might feel like we're walking around and around and around the walls that just won't fall, but God is faithful and God is sovereign and God will answer you wherever you are today. So I just encourage you to lean into him and trust in him and uh, give him whatever it is you're struggling with today. Wasn't that so good? Lean into Jesus, she says, right? That's what prophecy looks like. It's Again, it's not that scary. It's really simple. And, and I think, you know, it, we talked about this at New Life, you know, over a year ago, that what we wanted is to make time and make space for that. That if you felt something was on God's heart, for you just to get up, whether it was in the middle of worship or middle of, of someone speaking, you would you'd come to an elder and, and just present your message. And we wanted to stop because that word of prophecy, really, you have to understand, it was all motivated by God. It was God delivering a message to his body, to his bride, to the church, to you and I. And so what we just saw there with Lisa, and that good-looking Barry in the background, that what God was doing is he motivated Lisa, and she just spoke from the heart and blessed all of us. But we should be seeing, we can see that more often. So here's what's kind of cool. Now that we've been, you know, under lockdown, and we've been kind of going online and coming online church in some ways, we can't do it the same way on a Sunday morning. But it's opened up so we can do it all, all week long. And so we have that Facebook community group. And what's beautiful, it's private, which means that it's not going to go out to the whole world. It's only going to go up to that, that group. And so what you can do, what I really want to encourage you to do, as God leads you, right? Because it's got to be God through you doing. That's what's going to matter. But if, if God puts something on your heart, then, then grab, grab your smartphone or, or maybe if you got your, your computer on your camera or your camera on your computer and, and do a video. That would be really great, right? Do a live video where you just share. And again, it's going to be something to, to, um, to edify, to encourage, to, to exhort, and to, to lean into Jesus or to comfort. It's going to be one or all three of those in some form. And, and just bless all of us. Please do it because, hey, I need it. I need to be encouraged. I need to hear that. And, and Josh really needs to hear it. And, and, and Sue needs to hear it. And Peter needs to hear it. And, and John really needs to hear it. And, and because of John, Danielle really needs to hear the encouragement. 
So please don't hold back. And so, you know, if you don't feel comfortable doing a video, then write it out and that's okay. And maybe you'll feel more comfortable because it gives you kind of a chance to organize your thoughts. That's okay too. And if you don't want to do a live video, maybe you record a video. You can do a couple takes. That's all right too. But then post that. And I would love to see two or three, you know, a week from, from all of us as the body of Christ. Because the reality is, it's not just me and the elders that God wants to speak through. He wants to speak through all of us. And while you may not hold the office of a prophet, you may not be that, that equipped Christ-centered counselor. In, instead, the whole body of Christ can prophesy. Paul, Paul encourages that. He all have the opportunity to prophesy. And so you don't have to. What's beautiful about that, you don't have to do anything in the new covenant, but we get to. And so if you're willing to, if you're willing to risk it, we would all be blessed for it. Let me close in prayer. Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for, for what you've done and, and what you've given us, these, these prophets, these these words of encouragement, these people who we can go to or you might send to us to help put life back together when it's all kind of fallen apart, to build us up, to remind us of who you are and what you've done, the power and the beauty of the new covenant, that we're new creations, that you have, you've joined yourself to so much so that we become one with you as you now live and express your life through us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing that, and thank you for sending people to remind us of that. Thank you for sending people to comfort us when we're hurting. Thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that, that each of us would be open to playing that role, that each of us, Lord Jesus, would risk it as you put it in our heart, and we would step out in faith and, and bless the whole body of Christ. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.